All right, welcome back. Second half of the People's Show. Pick Nazar here, coming to you from the Kintec Studio. Well, by now you figured out it's it's the portable Kintec Studio today, the traveling Kintec Studio today. Uh, I was doing the show from home today, and I don't know. I sneezed on something, or I didn't actually sneeze on anything. But technology sometimes just doesn't work. It's it's the butterfly effect here. The bird, a pigeon, landed on my balcony and just fritzed out the entire scenario here and and everything started to break down but it's it's a friday i don't want to leave you hanging you know you, you want to hear big six you want to pick against it because that's how it's been profitable uh for you we'll get to brett fesseling here in just a couple of minutes uh but uh before then uh let's let, let's rattle off through some picks here i i i know on monday when we we're doing guest the lines i said I don't usually take Thursday games. I probably should have taken the Seahawks plus nine and a half because, look, they, they ended up covering. But more importantly, the rest of this week, man, it, it is a bad board looking at it across the landscape. Plus, we've got six teams on by Baltimore, Buffalo, Chicago, Vegas, Minnesota, Giants, all on by this week. So it, it, it's an ugly board across the, the NFL in week 13. We'll see what we can do, but let's get to it. It is uh, Bick 6, which so far this year, 33, 35, and 4. A lot of pushes this year. That's 48.5% on the year. But let's do it here. We'll start it off with the San Francisco 49ers, minus 2.5 on the road in the Eagles. I'm terrified. It's a big game. It's a road favorite. Ah, are they actually going to be able to pull it off here? But I do think the Eagles now, you know, they haven't been lucky. They've absolutely earned their wins. But I don't know how long you can survive winning one-score games. And again, I do think they have a weakness with the passing defense. Yes, it's mitigated by their pass rush, especially in the interior. But the 49ers O-line is stout with Trent Williams. I'm going to lay the points here in this scenario. 49ers win 31-24. Colts minus one and a half at the Titans. This is a really well-coached team. I think some of the shine has come off of Will Levis for the Tennessee Titans. It's a divisional game here spot and a short number. I know it's a road favorite, which I don't really like taking here. But the Colts just are making it work. And and I think when they came through that bye, they look at the schedule, they look at the FC landscape picture. I think this team is motivated right now. This is going to be a huge game for them to get a divisional win and start marching towards the playoffs would be massive. I'm going to lay the points in this spot. Colts win 27-17. Saints plus 4.5 versus the Lions. Home dog here. There's going to be such a focus on red zone play for this team this week. They need to be better after kicking all those field goals last week. Can they drum something up? Is Taysom Hill involved? Named after a rotary park. they got to name the end zone after him as well. With the competent defense they have, functional special teams game, as I mentioned with all the field goals, I think they do enough to cover here. Cover! Not necessarily win. The Lions, good team. I'm going to take the points in this spot. Lions win. Saints cover 24 21. Texans, minus three and a half versus the Broncos. A lot of turnover luck for the Broncos. Yeah, they've significantly improved from where they were sitting at 70 points in a game versus the Miami Dolphins. They've gone a long way since then. The offense, it's improved, no doubt. It just still feels safe. And in the land of the NFL, I don't know if you can be safe when you go up against good teams. I like the Texans. I mentioned to you on Tuesday on Big's Best. I think they're one of the top 10 teams. It's the hook here at minus three and a half. I'm going to lay the points. 
Texans win 27-20. Cardinals plus five and a half at the Steelers. It's a big number for the Steelers. Yeah, I know they put up 400 yards of offense last week, and I also know the the Cardinals got run all over uh, against the Rams. But I'm going to back the Cardinals in this spot because of the, the, the situational spot. Pittsburgh coming off of the win against Cincinnati. Then they're getting ready for New England in a short week. Is this a look-ahead spot? Kyler can be just frisky enough. Five and a half points, is that enough for him to cover? You know I like the Steelers. I absolutely love the Steelers. But in this spot, situationally, a big number. You know, Tomlin does much better as an underdog than he does as a big favorite, especially over a field goal. So I'm going to take Cardinals plus five and a half here. Steelers win, Cardinals cover. It is 21-17. Wrapping up. Bick six this week. Atlanta Falcons minus one and a half at New Jersey uh, at the New York Jets, New Jersey. I'm looking at my screen here. NYJ, not NJ. Uh, NYJ. Look, the Jets are a mess. Aaron Rodgers being back is not a motivational hump for them. Falcons covering the spot. It's protect the football. That's the name of the game for the Atlanta Falcons. They got a divisional game coming up as well. They're just coming off a divisional game, so it is a bit of a look-ahead spot. You can lose a non-conference game, especially when you're in first place in the division. I just don't trust anything that the Jets are doing right now. They're coming off a divisional game. They got Houston on deck. Maybe they get it up for this game, but a minus one and a half, kick a field goal. Young Way Koo at the end of a game. Most accurate kicker right now in NFL history with 100 minimum attempts. They win it late. 17-14, Falcons win. So that is, to recap, pick six. 49ers minus 2.5, Colts minus 1.5, Saints plus 4.5, Texans minus 3.5. Throw in the Cardinals plus 5.5, and, and also Falcons minus 1.5. Week 13, pick six. All right, let's get to it. Our good friend, Brett Festerling. We call it BFF, Brett Festerling Fridays. You'll hear him tomorrow on our airways, part of the coverage against the Flames with Brendan Batchelor. Uh, he is Brett Festerling, former NHLer, former Vancouver Giant. How are you? Good. I wouldn't mind a little more sunshine, but I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> it's it's December. What are you complaining about here? Yeah, but, you know, it gets a little, gets a little gray with a loss to Vegas and, <laughs> and the rain. You get down a bit. Uh, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, some things that we saw here uh, yesterday. And against the Vegas Golden Knights, Vancouver have their struggles. And it, it, it kind of started early. They they put out this matchup line, which we've seen, and JT's line has had success throughout the first, you know, 15 games of the season. It's waned a bit here, but it's it's started to show up here in the last eight games, hasn't really been as consistent. And last night was really the tipping point of, of seeing what a really top line playing at its best can do to that line. I'm just curious, are we starting to see a, a ceiling emerge for what that line can do? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's hard to say they haven't, that they're teetering off when you have the second, you know, mm-hmm. highest point getter in the, in the league and you got the highest goal scorer on the same line. So it's kind of hard to say they're not living up to standards, but I think five on five, they probably would like to play a little better. You see G, uh, uh, PDG there get moved off. I think there's just been some missed assignments in terms of, responsibility on the D side. We just saw so much offense get generated through good defensive play and structure and discipline early in the season. It seems 
like those same things, those details they were committed to early in the year seem to be kind of, you know, biting them a little bit here in terms of just picking up the right guys and back checking the right way and, and finding your responsibility. Yeah, I want to be clear. Like, obviously, the goal scoring, the points are fantastic. I guess it's more so in the matchup uh, part yeah. of the job, right? And, you know, there were moments yesterday, and look, I know it's Jack Eichel, I know it's Mark Stone and, and Barbashev as well, but, like, they, they've gone up against McDavid and, and looked competent to proficient. And yesterday it just looked like such a departure. Is it to you, like, the, the overall um, erosion of, sta- of, of, of the structure, or was it just a, a one-off scenario? Well, I think, think you've got to give Vegas the, the credit for it. It's, you're playing probably the best team in the league. Like, they were by far – like. I was very impressed in terms of how they protected the middle of the ice, how they back-checked. How many turnovers did they create just from Vancouver trying to go east-west? Very very little, right? They, PD would try to go or Miller would try to go east-west for one move, and you had three guys that were on top of that ready to go the other way. So uh, I don't want to say it's a full breakdown in terms of what we've been seeing. I don't think it's lived up to standard for the last kind of four or five games, but it definitely – uh, was highlighted yesterday with how good Vegas was um, turning that over. And there's another thing is, is Eichel's line on the best team in the league is their their best line. So like that's that's a good mm-hmm. test for for whether it's Miller going against them or PD going against them. Like that's what you need to live up to to win a Stanley Cup. So um, they're not there yet. They're going to be expected to go against those teams. So I think those are good tests mid-season and now now it's a challenge you know uh, they're going through that with video with the coaches and seeing where they can improve the middle of the ice it was so evident last night of, of how Vegas made it at times so easy to get there and look I know it's Mark Stone and he does the thing where he protects the puck and he's able to cut to the middle of the ice so easily um, but, but when you're just thinking about principles of, of how to get to the middle of the ice it's such a coveted area uh what stands out of how players can get there? There's obviously like the rush chances and, and finding a trailer or moving the puck around, but in, in the half court kind of scenario, is it player traits that stands out to you, whether speed burst or just size um, team style of play or, or, or just guys like having the courage to go there? I think it's, it's a, it's a lot of team play and then team play in terms of, you need other guys for you to get to the middle of the, middle of the ice. You need other guys clearing that space for you. Meaning Mikheyev going to the net or that fourth D like you see in Vegas's second goal last night. Uh, they try to get to the middle of the ice. It kind of gets cut off, but you see Miller kind of, kind of leave off and their fourth or their defenseman jumps up and he's the fourth guy in the play. So I think it's a lot of team play driving play North so that, defensive players need to pay attention and, and protect certain parts of the ice. And that just creates open spaces kind of lagging in the middle of the ice. Whereas Vegas filled that pretty quick. Canucks didn't do a good job. They didn't pick up the right assignments and then they didn't have layers of guys back checking to help out really. And Vegas did all night and they shows that they commit to that for 60 minutes. And that was a big, big um, difference in the game.
uh, talk at reference the, the fourth guy kind of entering in the on that play uh, as well. Is, is is that a chemistry thing of just you know a, a whole group of players kind of knowing everything? And I, I was saying last night, like to, to me, the Vegas was a finished product, and Canucks are through their work in progress. Like it's not as if Rick Tock has been here for two seasons or something like that, and and they've you know yeah. gone through this. So they're still kind of in what game sixty ish in and around there. Uh, I'm just curious, like as as the talent gets infused and trying to do what you can, it, it, it feels like that to me is as a flood of players enter in this organization and you get the systems carrying over season to season, uh, we'll see a bit more creative hockey and, and more um, expressive hockey at times from Vancouver. Yeah, I have it in my notes. Vegas looks like where Vancouver wants to be in a year or two. It's like they've had, it's, it's tough to look at it that way in terms of time frame, but this group, they lost Beluger and well, they lost two guys, I think, from their Stanley Cup team. So it's, it's a Stanley Cup team that already has high chemistry, that already performs at the highest level in the sport. And they've been together for, you know, the core has been together really for a few years now. And then you have that entire team that's been together for over a year, maybe two. So where the Canucks are in terms of the additions they made and the coaching and what they want to be, they're, they're probably a year and a half behind where this Vegas team is in terms of chemistry and time together and just pure reps and practice and, and camaraderie and all of it. So I don't think the Canucks are that far behind, but when you get to the top there, if you want to be in the top five, 10 teams in the league, you're, the margins, you know, the margin between those teams and the details is so thin that um, it just gets highlighted. Like you saw last night when you play the best in the league. What about in the, uh, Vegas defensive zone. Uh, how are they so effective? Uh, slice in the middle for you. They just cut it. They just cut the ice in half so fast. Like even go back to that second goal. Miller has to chip it twice to the neutral zone because they have everybody coming back. And then if you freeze frame it, when the puck's actually turned over in Vegas's defensive circle, there's three Vegas players on the puck. There's two. There's one guy in front, and then there's another guy supporting high slot. So they have everybody on one side of the ice and then they just swarm. It's just, it, it's impossible or it's very difficult for anybody to get through that. And that's the struggles we saw with anybody trying to get to the middle. They just have big bodies that are being physical, that are work. You know, like think about how hard you just have to work to keep mm-hmm. up, let alone, you know, exceed versus that team. So they just cut it off. They're very responsible in where they are in positioning they're very physical, and they put that together for 60 minutes. So it's just I think it's just exhausting to try to beat that system and that effort for that long. As soon as you try to deviate from that game plan, they just they take advantage, and they take advantage really quickly, especially when that ice line's on the, on the ice. It looked really hard for uh, Elias Pettersson yesterday, and it just felt like it, it was pinball at times that, you know, you, you go off these – uh, tree stumps and, and and you just wind up not, you know getting knocked over and and not that they're punishing hits into the boards or anything like that it's just working through the contact of the neutral zone as you're talking about and I'm just curious like while we're watching this you know Pedersen malaise right now that I, I think he'll work himself out of it we've seen this before um, do, do you try to switch up the line mates at all and, and what style are you looking for to maybe change it up to to, to take off the the burden a bit from from Elias Pedersen yeah switch it up get the get the head kind of turning, get the hamster going a little bit and just 
try to switch it up. If they're going to try Kuzmenko down with Miller and Besser, which we saw a bit last night, then I don't mind them throwing a Hoaglander in there. Or if he needs some speed like Lafferty, I didn't. I I kind of like Lafferty there. Is that a long-term solution? No, but it, it gives it a different look. It gives somebody that has energy pushing forwards or defensemen back that hopefully opens up more ice for PD. I think he needs to simplify it a bit. There's a couple passes there where I'd like to see him shoot it when he gets it off. So, yeah, he, he seems like he's looking for, for the extra play a bit right now. I think when you've got a reset, it's just so much easier to get to a simple game and, and be direct and and be physical. I think that's part of the reason you've seen him try to be physical lately is his, you get to this point in your game where you want to help the team, but you don't feel like you are. So you start to be more physical because it's something simple to do gets you mentally and physically fired up in the game. And hopefully you get kind of a lucky bounce off that and it generates momentum. It, it, it's, it's the, the world star players live in, right? Like they're always going to be targeted and, and try to change their game or at least you know, the opposition's going to force them to change their game and you'll constantly have to evolve. And it, it for, you know, for someone like Quinn Hughes, it's always going to be hard to sustain the level that he was having to begin the year. And I, I say this jokingly, it's a mere 13 points in the last 12 games. And uh, look, I, I'm not claiming he's been bad so everyone can step away from their blogs for a second here, but I, I'm just curious if you've noticed anything different of how teams are trying to limit his influence on the game. I definitely noticed Vegas last night trying to take take away that that cross with Hronik and him. The two forwards went out very aggressively as soon as they started skating towards each other. So that limited a bit of their kind of one-timers and, and shots from the point. They would get off those plays. Um, but, I mean, I would expect them to, you know, every team just start to try to take that away. Hughes, I mean, I think Vegas was carrying the majority of the play in the second period until Hughes had a shift. Him and Hironic did exactly what they do and got some of that momentum back. So I think he's still playing well. I think he go, it goes back to the whole team game, right? He, the team's playing better and more um, energy and structure like we saw in the beginning of the year, then he's going to get more chances. You're just going to play more time in the offensive zone. So um, teams are definitely trying to limit that, but I, I still think he's playing pretty well. <laughs> well, he was named uh, the third star of the month. So, again, everyone can back off their keyboards. He's a fantastic player. Uh, but, look, you, you mentioned just kind of the defense and, 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 and the forwards working together. The, the PK has obviously been a focus here. And I want to go through the, the William Carlson goal because last night mm-hmm. a lot of people were texting into the postgame show, be like, oh, Ian Cole's got to be quicker there. Uh, you know, the point we were kind of making is if you just watch how Vegas set up, it's like it's three forwards low in a straight line almost, and it's two guys really up high. And you, you can just see how yeah. easily and quickly the PK gets stretched that like Ian Cole's kind of almost stuck in a spot by paralysis because he, if he chooses one spot yeah. too early, it, it just, it pops into stone. And he's going to get this chance or it has to go wide to Carlson. Just, just take us through the options kind of Ian Cole and the, and the four PKers have in that spot there. Yeah. It's not Cole's. That's not Cole's fault at all. He actually played it exactly probably how he should have. So what happens is, and I don't know how Vancouver set up because I thought this was originally the, the fault, but Oman goes over to the left side and the puck's in the middle, and then that ends up Beluger coming over in front of him. Now you see both forwards get caught out at the blue line. Beluger's trying to take away this kind of one-timer in the middle thing, 
but really what the forward's supposed to do, one of them is supposed to cut in inside out and force that demon down the wall and push it down the wall. Instead, they're both fronting way too high. Bluger stays out high. He's the support guy that's supposed to come back into the slot, which allows Cole to go front Carlson. Carlson does have way too much time. He is too close, and he shoots far side, which we heard talking say he's got to cut the net off. Mm-hmm. they got to cut it in half, and the team's responsible for the back half. So that goal technically falls on the team because there should be somebody in that lane so he can't shoot that far side, make him shoot short side where Demko's covering it, or give the back door, front him, whatever it is. Just you can't give him that much time. But it is Bluger staying out trying to cut that off and not supporting. As soon as he comes back and supports, that's when Cole can go front Carlson more, knowing that the slot's covered by Bluger, or else I think it was Juleson out with there. I can't, I'm not 100% sure. Or yeah, you're right on that. Yep. takes that high slot, and Bluger's taking the back door guy because they Vegas ends up with three guys down low below kind of the base off dot, and Vancouver has two guys out over the top of the circle. So that's not the D at all. We used to run a we used to run PK practice where there'd be a barrel in the high slot, and everybody had an, like an eight eight foot elastic band around their waist. Mm-hmm. and you would just go in and out. So you could stretch it to 12 feet, but it's pulling you back. You would just go in, out, in, out, in, out. Whereas if you have forwards that are going to stay up that high, you're just going to get out, man. So that's not on Cole at all. I thought he played it actually smart by not rushing out and giving too much you know, opportunity for guys in front. Because even like the spacing of Stone on that play, because you mentioned just like all three guys are low. If, if Stone's even at like the high hash marks, Cole can suddenly like get close to him and also position himself to 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 get close to Carlson the way he positions and frames his body. But because they're all in a straight line, it's almost it, it sinks Cole all the way back too. Yeah, it's it's really hard to play. You don't see a lot of forwards or wide low shot, and I, I I didn't really look for it later in power plays. But that's it's hard to play if you're two defensemen because you're just you're giving up something somewhere. It's just what do you think is the least dangerous option? And the least dangerous option really is Carlson shooting from there with Demko facing him. So I think that, you know, Cole played that properly, but the Canucks definitely need to recover more into that house. Support low. If you want to take the shot out high, fine. Give that to them all day. I'd rather take that than Carlson shooting at the faceoff dot. Is it a timing issue of, of when like the forward is supposed to press out in there? Because honestly, the PK has suddenly become a real issue. Uh, even though you know Rick Tockets has said like we're we're, we're happy with the, the the way it looks and you know the, the results don't necessarily indicate um, the, the 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 overall structure, but it's it's not as if it's it's producing a lot of results. And at some point, the results are going to matter, and it, it just feels like something's a bit off of where we saw maybe the first you know five seven games. Yeah, I think we've seen some different personnel in there in terms of D-men and forwards. I think that's added to it a bit. I, 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 yeah, I think you see a lot less of Miller and PD out there together, which I really liked, but it's, it's their version of trying to give them some rest, I think, and give some more responsibility to the guys lower in the lineup, if that's what you want to call it. But, like, that's Omen's chance, and, I, and Beluger's chance, really. I think Beluger's a good player there, but they just – you know, those are details of the game that they need to, you know, be be more consistent on. Those those little, those seem like very little details, but you put four, five, six of them, and then you're down 3 nothing to Vegas in the second, and good luck coming back from that. 
Uh, we'll 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 see what happens because it's it's been clicking at about seventy four percent here over the past uh, since the Rangers game. So just over a month here. So we'll see if they can start to improve that. I imagine uh, Nikita Zadorov uh, will feature heavily on the PK. Uh, they go and acquire him yesterday. Uh, where do you think he will be noticed uh, most on the roster? Where he'll be noticed? Yeah. Just physicality, I think. Like He, he can change. It's pretty impressive. I think he actually moves really well for how big he is. And mm-hmm. He does have a big shot. You've seen a couple seasons. He's averaged kind of 20, 20-ish points. So, uh, I mean, I think it's been, you know, it was a good trade. And I, I think he'll add some, some, you know, he'll be very dynamic back there in terms of size and, and clearing the net and even jumping up in the play. And that big shot can definitely um, generate some offense on the back end. Someone's going to have to flip over to the side, assuming they all get healthy at some point. You know, Hughes, um, Susie, Cole, and Zadorov. Uh, take, take us through, like, like what's the biggest struggle when you're on your offside? Well, it's just how you face. So if you put the lefty on the right side, you got to open your body to, to pass to the middle of the ice or the far side. So you kind of get locked in this. So if you think about how a forward four checks, with his stick cutting off the middle behind and then kind of sweeps through as a lefty, you just, you kind of get locked where you, your, you know, your angle of pass becomes very steep into the middle of the ice. You can't go kind of laterally across or else you're throwing a backhand, which most coaches don't like you trying to throw a backhand across the ice. So it just, you need a lot more help in terms of support in the middle of the ice. You have to be, pretty confident on your backhand and then you usually have to have a D partner that that's good at supporting you. I did hear Moj was talking on the radio this morning about um, the Doroff and Cole played together in Colorado for over mm-hmm. a year. So that's, that's an interesting um, tidbit if that's true and something they could look at. Cause if you look at Cole, if it was Cole's Doroff and then, Susie and Myers, I thought, played really well together. And then you get Hronik and and uh, Hughes. In a perfect world, that sounds like a pretty good back end to me. All right, good stuff, Brett. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, he comes on here often. Former NHLer, former Vancouver Giant. Uh, and you hear him here on Sportsnet 650 often uh, on tomorrow's broadcast uh, against the Calgary Flames. You'll hear Brett again as the Canucks and Flames playing on Hockey Night in Canada. Division rivalry. Ugh, the Flames. <laughs> uh, as the Canucks have just taken a player off their roster, so you'll see uh, Nikita Zadorov's debut wearing number 91, stealing Kravstov's old jersey. Uh, you'll see that debut tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure uh, Canucks Central will set it all up. A special edition of Canucks Central, I should say. Uh, Satyar Shaw, not taking a three-day weekend, but uh, skipping out on Friday. Who amongst us, you know, in school sometimes? Dip out after lunch on Friday. You know what? Fourth period physics class. Do I really got to hit that one up on a Friday? That's what Sat Shaw's doing today. Doesn't need to hit up physics. <laughs> He's skipping out, so it's Randy, Janda, Dan, Riccio. Uh, we'll both be back tomorrow, myself and Sat, intermissions and post game. Tomorrow against the Calgary Flames. 
You'll hear uh, Dan Riccio in the pregame show with Sat, as well as they all set it up tomorrow, and then Batch and Brett Festerling on the calls. We'll get ready for the Flames game tomorrow. Uh, tonight, also, heads up, if you are if you want to head to Rogers Arena, you got the Vancouver Warriors season opener going on tonight. Tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. Also, big shout-out Samuel Honzik for joining us earlier today, the newest captain of your Vancouver Giants, which you'll hear uh, later today on our airway. So busy sports night in town. Make sure you get out and enjoy it. I'll be back tomorrow. Have a good weekend. Otherwise, here on The People Show.